Your go-to girls, Jill Vanek and Lauren Sherwin, flip the script and give you a weekly dose of career advice, banter, and the insider office gossip. You have all heard the phrase, your go-to guy. We are Are your your go-to girls. It's the go-to girls, Jill and Lauren. And I mean, I can speak for Lauren. We're, We're literally so pumped for this interview. We're so pumped. And it's also the first snow day that we're like having in the greater Philadelphia area. I mean, it is, we're recording on a beautiful Friday, late afternoon. I have my snowball sweatshirt on that looks like balls, but they're just pearls that are on my chest. And I'm just ready to go and talk to this amazing woman that's sitting across the table from us. Well, first of all, like the pearls are all over her sweater. It's not just on her chest. I feel like that gives... She looks good. And we're joined by our friend Tubbs, as always. Um, right. Guys, this is the episode of all episodes. Like, I feel like Oprah. Like, truly. This is like the number one requested episode. And this is the one where we're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Vanek, Mr. and Mrs. Whalen, get the hell off and do not listen anymore to the rest of this episode. PSA, we told you not to listen. Jill's brother in his cop car. Turn it off. We're done. No one is listening to this because we're about to get real with our girl, Becca. I was going to say, literally, I'm just like, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about... So everyone's been warned. This is a PSA, as Lauren said. If you have sensitive ears, lights out. Just delete. For everyone else, buckle up. Okay. We have with us today, Rebecca, Becca Bassman, who is a marriage and family therapist. Already, I'm impressed. Okay. So she has been in her own practice since June of 2019. She's a graduate of Thomas Jefferson's, like go Philly, local marriage and family therapy program. And she specializes in a number of, I don't want to say topics. When I say number of disciplines, disciplines sounds good. Disciplines, Disciplines Disciplines is fancy, including anxiety, divorce and separation. Oh, kink and BDSM. We definitely need to talk about that. Sexual compulsion, sexual dysfunction. Um, so much. Literally, we're so excited to have you, Becca. Thank you for joining us as our resident go-to girl sex therapist. Happy to be here. We're so excited. So tell us a little bit about yourself because you know we are all about like you are the expert. We want you to be educated. You have all this stuff. So talk to us a little bit about your schooling, licensure, like where you are in terms of your practice. Okay. So I went to Penn State for undergrad. I specialized in sexuality and gender studies. And I I majored in psychology and minored in sexuality and gender studies and Jewish studies. Uh, which is also kind of one of the things that I would love to lean into a little bit in my practice as time goes on. Um, And then I graduated, and I went to Jefferson two years after graduating. I actually worked at a school for like as a behavioral aide for a while, Um, and I wanted to do the sex therapy program at Jefferson. I actually didn't get in the first year. Um, But I love that. So you were so committed. You're like, I'm going to reapply. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. And I stayed at the school for an extra year and I loved it there, but it just wasn't. Working with kids isn't my thing. Um, Girl, you don't have to explain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Becca, I was an elementary education major. 
I went through student teaching, fell asleep during the middle of my lesson on The Wizard of Oz, and never went back to a classroom ever since. So sorry, kids. We're not your audience. Yep. We're not your winners right here. Sorry. Uh, you're amongst friends here. So <laughs> proceed. You're in the nest. Perfect. Um, yeah. So then I started at Thomas Jefferson the first year. We just did general marriage and family therapy studies. And then after the first year, you get to decide if you want to be in the family therapy track, which is usually including working with kids or the sex therapy track. Um, and I went the sex therapy track and never turned back. Okay. Can I ask a quick question, Becca? Of course. So how do you decide? I, I get uncomfortable saying the word sex. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it. Sometimes it makes me a little uncomfortable. I don't like the privates. I like to say the word privates instead of what they actually are. <laughs> so like, how did you decide that this was something you were interested in or you wanted to have a focus on or a passion? Like, how does this become something that you want to focus on? I think it was just too many people over time telling me that I reminded them of Barbara Streisand from Meet the Fockers. No. That is not. I mean, now I can't unsee it. (laughs) This is amazing. And I love that that is your answer. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So, but truly, I mean, okay, to Lauren's point, you, I feel like if I went home and was like, hey, mom, I'm going to study sex. She'd be like, excuse me? Like, how did that go over with your family? Like, how did you describe it? All of that stuff. Yeah. So I'm the youngest of three girls. And I really do think that in general, and this, correct me if I'm wrong, I would love to have this piece of the conversation. But I think in general, Judaism, um, I'm a Jew, is really open and expressive about sex and sexuality. You might like, even if you read some of the prayers, it's all, it, there's some about like pleasuring your wife and. Get, okay, Becca, we are both Catholic and, and quite literally it could not be more opposite. I, I feel like Catholics are like, please don't touch each other ever unless you're going to get someone pregnant. You know what I mean? One bread, one body. One bread, one body. Do not touch the other body, everyone. Went to Catholic school my whole life. Do not touch the opposite sex. Celibacy is key. Right. That's what you learn. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they teach you. So I love this though. So it wasn't, it, it was more open even as you were growing up and culturally and everything in terms of like your discussions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really feel like, like with my family, it's funny because with my family, when I went into this field, it was like, oh, we all need it. Like everyone, it's such a nice thing. You'll be, you'll never go out of style almost. Um, I love the support. That yeah. is the type of parent I want, would want to be. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. But I definitely do feel like I've needed to discern a little bit differently about when I say I'm a marriage therapist and when I say that I'm a sex therapist and, you know. Knowing your audience. Yeah. Right. So I think that I have gotten more comfortable even with like my fiance's family saying, well, I specialize in sex therapy and that's the majority of the work that I do. But there's still sometimes maybe if I met a fiance's extended cousin, I'd say <laughs> right, like something cousin else. Larry, relax. <laughs> you don't need to know all of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So a lot of questions. I mean, that Lauren and I have, but I think a general question like, what do you do? Meaning, who are your clients? Who comes to see you? Because I think even the fact that you specialize in sex therapy can be so intimidating to to people. So I feel like there's really no rhyme or reason about who comes to see me, but just more broadly, I think that it it usually is that 
Okay. The majority of the people that I see are individuals, actually, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has to do the content that they come with might be a little bit more sexuality-based. Um, but a lot of the couples that I do see, I think it probably at this point it's like 55% individual, 45% couples. Um, and I notice that people generally, even if they do eventually want to talk about sexuality and physical, like the physical aspect of their relationship, it might not be the reason that they're coming in. Um, so they come in knowing that I won't shy away from the topic. And I think that that's really important for people. Um, so even if it's not the utmost importance for them, the reason that they're coming into therapy, they know that if, and when it comes up, it's going to be something that I can take in stride and that it's a competency that I can deal with. And it, it's just so interesting you say that, that that even the consensus is a lot of clients might ease into it or maybe they want to get to it, but they almost have to build themselves up a, l- a little bit to get there. Are there common threads and common issues that you see, Becca, that like, listen, Jill, listen, Lauren, everyone deals with this with sex. Everyone, like, is there a common thread between people? Yeah, everyone wants everyone wants for there to be a better communication with their partner. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to be able to better eloquently express what they're looking for and what they're yearning for in a sexual capacity. Everyone wants to feel more socially competent. Um, everyone wishes that their anxiety was a little bit smaller. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. yeah, I wish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's so interesting because I'm sure you see so many people who present in different ways, but the underlying themes all boil down to something very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's wanting to feel better understood by themselves and others, I think is kind of the main theme of what I see most frequently. Okay. And the couples that you see, so my husband and I do not go to counseling, but I go to a lot of counseling. Mm-hmm. Like I go to my own personal therapy and stuff. And so does Jill. And we're very open about that. But I haven't gone a couple. I feel good about my marriage. I feel like that is strong. So I feel pretty good about that. But are there any red flags that you see when marriage couples come to you? And maybe it's not for a sex therapy focus. But as they start to come to you and you start to hear things or patterns that you're like, oh, boy, this is probably a topic area we need to get into and start to talk about the sex therapy side. Like what red flags should Jer and I look for when we're really in the shitter and we need to fix our lives? What's that going to look like? There's no one like thing that I look for, but specifically in the sex therapy realm, I think that it might be something that I might have a keener eye on in in session would be who's dominating the conversation. I'd maybe be curious about if that's if that plays out in the bedroom. Fascinating. <laughs> Facet. See, this is the good shit we're getting to right here. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'd maybe be looking to see if someone like shuts out the other, uh, just most like communication is key, right? Not to sound the most, the most cliche ever, but I do think that a lot of the verbal communication that we have and even the nonverbal communication that we have lends itself or doesn't in the bedroom and in a sexual way. Mm-hmm. How, wow. I mean, we could have you here for five hours. This is great. Okay. So let me ask you this. I, do you commonly see, I feel like as women, we are very much brought up in a culture and very much taught that not to talk about sex 
or your own desires. Or I have friends who have never been to a sex shop. I mean, I'm not saying you have to go. I'm just, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, do you see that pattern play out a lot in couples counseling or individual therapy? Like, how do you help women get better in touch with their wants, needs, and letting them know it's okay to have their own desires and bring that to the party? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And honestly, what I've noticed more recently is that it's not that people, especially the ones who I see in my practice, it's not that women specifically don't know what they want. It's that they're not comfortable saying it. So a lot of the women that I do see may have toys of their own, may use them individually, but might not know how to incorporate it into the couple's setting, right? They they might actually feel very in tune with what it is they like when they're alone, but they might not know how to verbalize and express in a way that they're comfortable with to their partner. I mean, do you... so? What I find so fascinating about that is I have a lot of, it's interesting, I have a lot of married friends. <laughs> I'm 40, so most of them are married. So with the divide I find that's interesting, and let me know your thoughts on this. My girlfriends, we will talk about everything under the sun. We kind of draw the line at sex. Mm-hmm. My guy friends, that's where we, we, we only talk about it. My guy friends will tell me, I barely talk to my wife about sex. We're just not like that. She doesn't care what I like. It's it's like that is the topic of choice that men bring up and women are kind of hush-hush. Like, what do you think about that? Or does that ring true for you? In my particular friend group, it isn't true, but it's because I, it's because I spearhead those conversations. Um, I think that a huge piece of what's playing out there and what is true about what you're saying is that we're not socialized to talk about it. So men, I mean, their <laughs> their penis is outside of their body. I it, love that she said penis. I'm sorry to cut you off, Becca. We commonly say hoo-hoo willy around here. Or private. <laughs> so private. Uh, private. <laughs> no, I love that we're being clinical. This is I love this professional yeah. conversation. You're yeah. right. It's literally hanging out. Their dong is out. Yeah. Like, like it's out and about. Uh-huh. Sex is just happening. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, and it's just like... They're very used to looking, seeing it being talked about, you know, and it being this big, like this thing that we're excited to kind of talk about and it's masculine and strong and whatever. And women aren't viewed the same way. And I mean, not to totally gender, but it is something that affects how we view ourselves in society. So if we can't even feel comfortable saying like, yeah, my vagina, right, then it becomes well, what can we feel comfortable talking about? That's literally our body. And how do you, you know, not that we're in a session right now, but I just find it fascinating. How do you, or what are some techniques for women who aren't comfortable talking about this with their partner or really being open to what they want sexually? Like, what are some things women can do like right now to start working on that? I'm conscious that I said vagina instead of vulva, just <laughs> just so that you know. I'm I like kind of blacked out for a minute. And I was like, Ugh. no. Well, you know what? Okay, Becca, I love this. I really think the average person doesn't know. Can you tell us what is the difference between vagina and vulva? Yes. Thank you. Yes. So I don't know. <laughs> Perfect. Like, I, this is a common thing. Honest to God, like I'm not. I'm, I only know because I'm a nurse and had to put in 800 catheters. Right. Uh, Excuse me, but I mean, you know what I mean. Right. So you can tell us. Okay. No, well, I'm just I mean kidding. I could. Yes. No, you can. You you say you say the vulva. I'll say the vagina. 
Okay. Well, I want to also make sure I give like the right, right definition. Well, the vagina is the whole organ. Yes. No. Vagina is the entrance and yeah. Yes, exactly. The entrance and then the cervix is the tube, like the tunnel. Right. The cervix is in the back end of the vagina. Like you go through the tunnel. Yes. And you hit the cervix. And the vulva is all of it. The vulva is the private. The, the vulva is the flower private. Yes. The vagina is the entryway in. Yes. The cervix is in the back that, you know, deep in the back of the vagina. Tunnel. Could you the guys tunnel. explain how do, how do we have babies and how those are made? Because I also <laughs> went to Catholic school and we didn't talk about that either. So if anyone could give me an idea of how I can make a baby, that would be great too. Any no, insight? But I love this though. Okay. And I love that we're talking about this. So because again, I... I, I think women, again, are, okay, let's talk about the clitoris, mm-hmm. the clit. Can we yes. say that? No. I love how you said that on national radio. P.S. we're not, not on national radio. National radio. <laughs> <laughs> national radio. <laughs> but I mean, truly, like, even us sitting around, like, mm-hmm. I we're in our 30s, whatever, and, like, some of these things, I'm like, I think it's this and this whole, like, we don't, as people, know our body that well. Mm-hmm. Like, do you work with women? Are there some dudes who come to you and who are like, I don't know where the clitoris is? That has yet to happen to me, but it's okay. because they all think they do. Right? <laughs> See, it's so interesting. And in your couples, okay, I'm not going to take this off the rails. What I find is when I talk to men, the majority of men like to be coached or they like to know what you like. Mm-hmm. But I feel like sometimes, again, women just have this innate, they don't want to say it, or, oh, I don't want to rock the boat, or he won't like that kind of thing. Do you see that a lot with couples, or that's usually not the issue? I find that when, in session, when people are being told to, there's a little bit of, like, white coat syndrome that happens here, right? I'm I'm in a position of power that's not lost on me in the room, and honestly, the last two years virtually. Um, So I do feel like it's important to say that if it almost feels like a prescription, right? So when it's coming from me, I might feel a little bit of resistance, but it might be incredibly different from what they're giving to their partner. So in the bedroom, yeah, maybe it's go there, go there, or it's not at all because of possible defensiveness that might come up. And who, I mean, do you recommend, point blank, do you recommend like therapy and sex therapy for every couple? Do you think every couple can get something out of it or no? I think the short answer is no. I don't think that everyone needs it. Um, but I do think that there are different reasons for everyone going to therapy. I think that there can be in a crisis when you need something. And then there's also the sense of normalcy and kind of maintaining having that having that space. Mm -hmm. And the same way that that can be helpful individually, it can be helpful for a couple also. So I think that like there's no harm in opening up that therapeutic space, having that space to know that if, okay, if we can't find a time to check in, we will have this Tuesday at 6 p.m., you know? And I think that that's really valuable for a lot of people. Um, But Nah. I mean, if it, if it doesn't feel like it's something that's compelling to you, I don't think that forcing yourself to get that is doable or good anyway. Okay. So, Becca, can you validate something for me? Of course. Sex can be like a roller coaster in a relationship, right? Like sometimes you can be having a lot of it. Sometimes it's like your jeans don't fit and you feel like shit and you don't want to like have a lot of it. But like, is that normal like to have this roller coaster of different times? And then if you are not having 
a lot of sex. Like, how do you open that conversation or what advice do you give to those married couples that are maybe in like, because I feel like when I talk to my girlfriends, it's like, oh, we're kind of in a rut or like things are really good or things were really hot and heavy when we were like in the beginning and things kind of died off. Like, I feel like it's a roller coaster almost. Mm-hmm. I just forgot that I wasn't being seen by the viewers because I was totally not. <laughs> She's nodding her head. I was nodding <laughs> like, whoa. We're not on YouTube yet, but we're <laughs> manifesting it for 2022. Yeah. Or national public radio. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think that a, a piece of this is thinking about the reasons why you are or aren't. Right. So exactly what you said, which was, you know, when you're when you're not feeling totally comfortable, when your pants aren't fitting, maybe you aren't you know, so psyched to be having more of that physical interaction. But also if you're going three weeks and you're not thinking about it, then think about the reasons why, right? Maybe you have a huge exam coming up. Maybe you, you know, have the most stressful period in your job. Maybe you have cramps all the time, you know, whatever. Maybe you've had migraines for the past three months. Whatever it is, I think that also it's okay to not want it. And I don't, I think that a lot of the time, a not again to be heteronormative or have it be feeling like we're generalizing, but I do think a lot of the time women are put into the role of showing up in that sexual space. And I think that if we are able to give ourselves the opportunity to ask ourselves if we're actually wanting that today, instead of being like, why haven't I had it for a month? Then that's kind of empowering. I, I love that you just said that. It really, because I think a lot of our programming is you're supposed to show up. You're just supposed to, okay, even if you're not in the mood, just kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Also, I can't really comment on this because I've never had a relationship long enough where it does have ups and downs, but you know, we'll go. So here's my other question. Mm -hmm. Now, Becca, back in the day, I was a nurse. I started on a transplant floor. And when patients went home from the hospital, I had to have a sex talk with them. And because if your platelets are low, you're at risk for bleeding. Mm -hmm. And I had to talk to them about what positions they could do, rough sex. I was like 21 talking to like seven-year-olds about rough sex. I was highly embarrassed. Are you ever embarrassed? Are there ever any stories? Like, is there ever anything that just makes you giggle or that just you're like, I can't believe we're talking about this? Like anything. Knowing you're a professional, of course. Maybe after a session. But You'll giggle at all. Yeah, maybe after. Um, Every now and then, every now and then I might like, giggle at like the curtness of a word said or something and be like, oh, sorry. Um, (laughs) Uh, I would giggle the entire session, the entire time, the entire time. And you have to be professional. Right. But also, okay. So in my building and like no one really knows where I'm living and I'm moving anyway, there's a girl who it's just known she dresses like a Furby or a Mm -hmm. furry. I think it's furry. Furry. I'm sorry. If someone showed up on Zoom in a sloth costume dressed up and was like, this is my sexual preference, I I would have a hard time being like, okay, Sally, Mm -hmm. let's discuss. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but that's actually – so that particular situation hasn't happened to me yet. But I actually – something that – if you had asked me this question two years ago, two and a half years ago, my answer would be totally different. But I think that one of the things I just love so much about what it is that I do is that – comfort zones and what's weird is totally relative. And so I do feel like everyone, you know, that furry probably thinks that vanilla sex is the weirdest thing in the world. And so it's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. And just like thinking like, wait, what? Like, you know, considering that everyone has a different idea and range of what they're comfortable with. And so crazy for me, 
two years ago is not what crazy to me now is and how it's all kind of a growing curve. And like, you know, I feel totally more capable of taking on the weird stuff. I love that. And one question I also have too, Becca, is, you know, I think it's interesting what people prioritize in relationships. And I had a relationship in the past where just sex was not important to him. He could take it or leave it. And it made me so resentful. It was a major reason for the breakup. Like I felt like he never wanted to touch me. It was like, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. And it became a huge thing. What do you see with couples or what are your thoughts on as a woman, I'm, I prioritize sex. It's very high in my rankings mm-hmm. of a successful relationship for me. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Do people have different priorities? Can sex be at the top of a list? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with that particular example, I would be wanting to get a full history of potential trauma, mm-hmm. um, getting a better idea of you know, family of origin. Was sex talked about? If so, how was it communicated? Was this person... You know, a traumatic event can be kind of anything. It can be my mom walked in on me jerking off. Um, But I also think that absolutely we can all prioritize different things. And I think that there is shame for people, maybe specifically cisgender women, Mm -hmm. who prioritize sex and put it on the top of their list. And I think that it needs to be normalized and needs to be something that people get more comfortable saying, this is important to me. And if it's not present, it's going to be an issue. I love that. And we talked a lot about it a little bit, but do you, I'm not saying this is your aim at all. I'm not saying you have a crystal ball, but do you get a sense from the body language and the way people talk? I, I found that fascinating when you said, you know, you can see who's dominating the conversation, who's not. Can you kind of have a spidey sense like, uh-uh, this couple ain't going to make it? Do you know what I mean? Do you kind of know after a few sessions, like this couple's in trouble or or not kind of thing, if if they're a fit? I might know if they're in trouble, but I have learned not to suspect if they're going to stay together um, because those two things just don't, don't always go together. Um, but something that I have learned that I feel really passionately about as a therapist is that I feel like so often people think that if a divorce happens, if someone ends up back hospitalized for mental illness, that it's like a failure to the therapist. And the truth is, if a couple comes into me and they and they're saying we're really struggling, if this doesn't work out, then we are going to separate. I'm going to say, and that wouldn't feel like a failure to me, mm-hmm. right? If you build insight and you learn about one another and you learn about the patterns in your relationship and you d- conclude that you're no longer meant for one another, that's okay. And I'm going to be just as happy with that as I would have been if you stayed together having learned all those things anyway. Yeah. And Becca, how do you communicate? We talk a ton about mental wellness for women because w- so much has changed and so much has gone on and stress and anxiety and depression. Everything is through the roofs right now. How do you communicate with your partner when you're really struggling with your mental wellness or your mental health? Because it has a huge impact on your partner and your relationship that you have. Yeah, no, it absolutely, it does have a huge impact. And building your support system with your partner is incredibly important. So if they're unable to give you the support that you need, then you need to say, okay, what girlfriends should I bring in? What what buddies do I have that I should be bringing into my 
my mental health a little bit differently? Should I talk to my parents? Whatever. Um, but I think that the way to talk to your partner about it is in the most concrete and like vulnerable way and just say, this is what's playing out for me. This is the way that it shows up. This is how my anxiety manifests. And of course it sounds easier than it actually is. But I think that if I had, if I were asked that couple, if I were asked that in session, that question in session, I would want to have that conversation right here. Mm -hmm. And I'd want it to be, okay, why don't you tell so-and-so what it is you want them to hear? What did this person, like, what did you just hear your partner say? Is that right, partner A? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, and kind of have that back and forth in session where they're asking about clarification, where they're saying, is that what is true for you? Yes, back and forth. It's called uh, empathic reflection. Empathic reflection, I love it. I'm going to have an empathic reflection with Jared tonight on my Friday evening <laughs> over some pizza and an empathic reflection because we could really use that in our love life right now. Well, I, but I this empathic reflection because, I mean, down to the root of it, like you said, it's communication. I can say the sky is blue and someone could hear, oh, mm-hmm. you said it was green. Like, right. it, I think of myself in therapy and I get such a kick out of it because I feel like, you know, you go down these rabbit holes. I can't imagine having another person it, it, it just, it's so complex. You can't control someone else and in, in their needs, their wants. It's just, it's a lot for you to handle too. Right. Sometimes I even like will stop a fight and say, yeah. and say like, what did you just hear? Mm. And one of them will say, well, I just heard blank say that I'm a piece of shit. Right. And I, huh, that's interesting. I heard them say, you haven't taken out the trash in three weeks. It's yeah, right. Right. So how it can feel so different. Right. It's okay. I feel like more, we had a ton of questions from listeners, but one question I have before we get into that, I don't want to turn this, you know, we're, we're still a professional podcast, but is there anything you find that we do to ourselves or have patterns that are highly unhealthy? Like, is it unhealthy to have a friend with benefit? Is it unhealthy to engage in certain behaviors? Is there anything that you see that you're like, uh-uh? Are you asking for yourself or what do we, what do we need some information as we're hinge dating lately? No, we've, we've already been down all these roads. <laughs> no. <laughs> Becca, no. This is an open book on this side. No, but you know what I mean? Like, do, I feel like sometimes, is there any self-sabotage or patterns you see like, okay, let's get out of Dodge. This is just not going to end up well kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, short short answer is, the only thing that's unhealthy is if it's a harm to yourself or others. Um, but I do think that when you notice that you're showing up with self-sabotage, it likely says something about your past and maybe trauma history, maybe past relationship history and what you might be shying away from and resisting because it's, you know, because you're fearful of what you might have otherwise. Right. It, it, you know, I think it's great. We got a lot of questions to, um, you know, uh, they kind of ranged. And I think it's really interesting. Do you, as part of your therapy, obviously, depending on the couple, depending on the situation, do you, do you almost give homework to people? Like, hey, I want you to go to a sex shop or, hey, I want you to 
go down on your wife tonight. Wow. I can't believe we're saying this on a podcast. Excuse me. Cunnilingus is the proper term. <laughs> do you know what I mean though? Like, do you sort of prescribe certain things to, to start to unlock these gates? More the first one than the second. The sex shop more. Yeah. Okay. More the sex shop. I went shop. too far with <laughs> No, it's okay. It's all good. Where was everyone's first sex shop that they went to? What was the name of it? I went to a passion party where they brought like glitter and things to my college room with a bunch of random college girls and some lady tried to sell us in some Ponzi scheme. That was my first one. I feel like I was way more of a late bloomer. I mean, there's the pleasure chest in Philadelphia. Word up, Gary. He's great. Um, I don't remember my first one, though. Somewhere in Georgetown. Did it have a name? You don't remember? I don't remember the name, though. But I think it's good like to talk about that. It is. Yeah. Where was your first? (laughs) So my my most recent was Alice in Wonderland in Mm -hmm. Philly. Um, Is that on South Street? No, it's it's right. I think it's right on 22nd and Walnut. What? Oh, yeah. I think that's the pleasure chat. I think oh, we're talking right about the there. same thing. Yeah, the same place. Sorry, Gary. We're misquoting the name. It's, oh, one, of those. it's yes. one of those. I think it was great because it wasn't just bachelorette stuff. It was real yeah. stuff. Yes. Okay. And But my first one was actually Spencer's. Um, <laughs> what about Spencer's? Does Spencer still exist? Spencer still exists, actually. Wow. The, the kin photographer, uh, Rosie Simmons, works for uh, Spencer's. Yeah. Amazing, Rosie. Good for you. I love oh my that. God, Spencer's. Spencer's. And what was the other one? Hot Topic. Remember Hot Topic? Yes. But I don't think that wow. they sold. No, they just sold like grunge, like. Yeah, like rubber earrings. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, you guys. Wild Spencer's. Okay. Love that. So sometimes you will give prescriptions for lack of a better word or, hey, this is a challenge or kind of start to explore this way. A lot of a lot of it is more communication based. I think, um, as I said earlier, I think that communication is usually the most important thing, and then also the first thing to go. Um, so a lot of the homework assignments that I give, although it might be, hey, look up this thing online, maybe look on Adam and Eve and just see the products that you look for um, or that you gravitate towards, and or it could be do this. I've been doing this a uh, check in, prescribing a check in. Uh, that's called Phanos, F-A-N-O-S. It's feelings, affirmations, needs, owning up, and like wild cards. So it can be sex or success. Phanos. That's good for people to know. Do you feel like you're engaged? Mm-hmm. Do you, fact. <laughs> Do you, fact. Lauren is married. Fact. I'm single. Fact. Do you feel like at, at this stage of my life, it is very much a priority for me that I don't, I know for a fact I could not go through and have a very serious relationship with someone who is on a different playing field in terms of sex with me. It's a very important topic. Do you feel like that compatibility is either inherent or can that grow? Like if if someone's very vanilla and someone's not, do you work with them? Can you see that start to mesh or it's like different DNAs? Again, guys, I'm nodding a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. I do. I Yeah, I do think that it's something that can grow. I think that a lot of people, if you, a lot of people, it might feel like, um, pause. When someone comes in and they're saying that they, a couple has had what they would consider to be like a downfall in their sexuality together, one of my first questions is, what did it used to be like? Mm. And sometimes it's, oh, it's kind of always been this way. Or in the very beginning, it was hot and heavy. And I am always curious about kind of what that looked like for them. 
Um, because the truth is sometimes sometimes one person is leaning in to something that's outside of their comfort zone because they want to make the beginning of the relationship exciting. Um, and maybe once they get comfortable, they pull back a little bit because they realize it's not something that they actually enjoy. It, yeah. It's, it's so much communication. This is so interesting. Okay. On that note, Mm-hmm. getting to some listener questions. We'll, we'll kind of do, I don't want to say lightning round, but a little lightning round to start to close us out. We got questions and a lot of them were like, hey, I'm seven years into my marriage. He doesn't appreciate me. The seven-year itch. Seven-year itch. Like, how do I spice things up? Second part of that question, we had a couple people write in, is a threesome a healthy way to spice it up? Because to me, that's a whole other can of worms. So sort of a two-part what you think about that. How to spice it up, how to keep it alive, and then is is involving someone else, even for a one-time thing, a recipe for disaster or concern people handle it? I do think that's I'll, – I'll get to that one first. I do think that certain people can handle it. I think that when it's a reason, when you're thinking about it as a way to fix your relationship, then – that's never good. Mm-hmm. Um, the same way that some people might, if they're unhappy in their relationship, there's a totally big difference between wanting to be ethically non-monogamous and then turning to that when you're unhappy in your relationship. Or when you're unhappy, we've all heard this example, but someone have it, getting pregnant and wanting to have a baby to change it up a little bit. Um, so I think that absolutely, if you're really wanting that within your relationship, you can do that and it can be really successful for you. But if the end goal is for it to make your relationship better, then that's when it's likely to kind of go the opposite direction. So smart. So smart. It's like you said, it's not going to fix. If that's the reason, then it's a recipe for disaster, but it could work otherwise. Now, talk to me a little bit or talk to us a little bit about like, how do you keep things spicy? And I I know there's so much that goes into what was it like before, but is there any quick tips or things people can do to like kind of bring that spark back? Mm -hmm. A lot of what I hear with my couples is that one of them feels like they, they need the physical aspect and the other feels like they need the emotional aspect in order to have the physical and so I do think that a lot of the time, even that little check-in that I told you about earlier, the F-A-N-O-S, can allow for communication to then feel more comfortable and for it to feel like an emotional connection is built um, in order to lead to the physical. So I even say, like, what do you like to do that's not inherently sexual? They might say, we like to make meals together. We like to dance. We like to watch Succession together on, the, on TV. Who doesn't? I'm so into that show. <laughs> and I think that that is, then can like, it can allow for there to be an opening that leans into the physical. So, okay, we're making dinner together. We just made pizza and we put on our favorite music and had some wine. And then it just kind of went into that because we prioritized first the emotional connection. Emotions. <laughs> Before the sex. What about our new mothers? Like we have a ton of new moms, girls that are like pregnant, girls that are going through that, like new moms who are not feeling maybe at their best have just gone under, like their bodies have just gone through so much. Mm -hmm. What advice do you give to those new moms that are just having kids that are trying to get back into that kind of rhythm and pattern with their significant other? Yeah, no, it's incredibly, it's incredibly difficult. And I actually have some colleagues at the practice that I work at at first that specialize in this because it is such an important 
space to have a specialty in and so many people are. So women aren't alone. This is a normal feeling. Oh, yeah. There's people who specialize in this. Like everyone mm-hmm. should know that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, one of the things that I would say to new moms is to take your time. I don't think that it's ever good when we rush ourselves, rush our minds, rush our bodies into something that we aren't comfortable with. And when you're getting your oxytocin from someone outside of your partner, um, which is in this case, a baby, in my case, a dog. Um, I'm with you, sis. <laughs> I, I think that it, it, it rattles everything, right? Our foundation's a little bit rattled. And so for us to feel like we're getting on even footing it might take a little bit more time and we need to grant ourselves that. Okay. Final final question from our listeners. And I think I, this blows me away. We had a lot of questions about, is masturbation in a relationship bad? Like almost viewing it as you shouldn't do it if you're with someone or, you know, I shouldn't watch porn when I have someone right there. Um, I've never viewed it as that. I think it's all healthy. But what is your professional take on that? I, I feel like women sometimes think when they get into relationships, like, oh, I should stop everything. Mm-hmm. I I think that it, again, is incredibly about, like, it is, I think that it's a person-to-person basis. So there are certain people that build a reliance or a compulsion when it comes to mm-hmm. porn in that case, yeah, probably we should build awareness around what it is for us and how we incorporate it and when it's no longer suiting us. But the in most cases, porn is not problematic to a relationship unless it feels like you and your partner have come up with something and like some sort of decision about not wanting it to be a part of it. Right. Right. It's like there are rules and contracts that each relationship needs to build. And if porn isn't in it, then that needs to be something that is understood. I love it. It all goes back to talking. Okay. Here's my real last question. And then we will wrap this up. What about cheating? I feel like sometimes it's real easy to, if you're going through a stage like all men are dogs, all men cheat. Here's my real question. Do you see equal amounts of cheating? Do people tell you when they've been cheating? Like, what's the sitch? The question itself is, is an interesting one. And I think that you'd be surprised about the percentage of cheating that happens on both ends. Mm-hmm. Um, infidelity, just in general, is something that there and it it often falls into certain family lifestyles of uh, mm-hmm. sorry certain family life cycles um so when like right after someone has a baby you know there's a lot of disconnect that sometimes happens um when kids are getting older there's a certain disconnect that okay. happens when your kids aren't like on your side every second, right? There are times that it just feels like maybe there's a little bit more of an opening for cheating. Mm -hmm. Um, The newest thing, and I maybe didn't coin this, but I've been thinking about it for a while, is instability. Um, So Instability. You heard it here first. (laughs) Okay, tell us everything. So it's kind of just like when we find that our partner might be direct messaging Instagram models or direct messaging people on on Instagram, through Instagram, um, through social media more generally, and whether or not that is considered cheating to them. Because we can talk about what physical things are cheating, but this kind of brings in the another kind of piece that might not be emotional cheating either. 
right. It's like, the, it's that Insta yeah. world. It's that middle ground. Because yeah. you're right. I feel like there's emotional friends, but that's, yeah. Oh, we we need a whole other episode on cheating. <laughs> Don't be sliding into our go-to girls, DMs, fellas. I guess if you're looking for Jill, slide in, slide right into there. She's looking, she's open, she's open for like business. So yeah, you can slide in. Yes, that would not be cheating. Um, all right, Becca Bassman, you have been a gem. Amazing. This, we need to have you back because truly we could talk to you for five hours. Like I find this so fascinating. Can I ask one question before we leave though? Cause it's frustrating the shit out of me. Insurance, what a bitch. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I wanted to work with you, mm-hmm. do I have to go through my insurance? How does that work? What drives me nuts about my therapist is like they give me a list. And these are your providers. Like this is what works. And you have all these EAPs and all this stuff. Like mm-hmm. how can I work with you? What does that look like? It's really tricky. And a lot of the time, sex therapy and couples therapy and family therapy actually too isn't covered yeah. by insurance, which is yeah. really problematic. Um I'm also not yet licensed. I am taking my test in March. You go, girl. You go. <laughs> Can't wait you. to go out and celebrate. Oh, I, we're going to have drinks and you pass. Perfect. I guess. I, um, yeah, so that's, I'm not yet licensed, so I actually can't take insurance anyway. Um, but even when I am, I'm out of pocket. But the way that we can do this is I can generally retroactively reimburse. So what I can do is I can make a form. I can put my licensing information, my, you know, LLC information, all of this. I tell a little bit about a diagnosis code, um, not really personal information about them. And then your insurance can decide, unfortunately, whether or not they want to reimburse in a retroactive way. Okay. So that's how people can start to go about this process. I'm assuming you help people, you walk them through that. But yeah. how do they connect with you, Becca? What is the best way for someone to find you, to talk to you? Do you do intro, like little mm-hmm. consults? Like how does that work? Yeah. So I do. Um, I So I work at FIRST. It's called Philadelphia Institute for Individual Relational and Sex Therapy in the city. Um, but I've been doing a lot of my work virtually. I own my own practice. Um, but you can look me up online. It's Becca Bassman. Um, and you'll see a little bit of what I specialize in, but email is usually best. So it's B-A-S-S-M-A-N at first, P-H-I-I-R-S-T dot com. Um, and just you can ask any questions there and you'll be able to see a lot of what it is that I specialize in and what it is that maybe you would want to know about me on my profile through there. Amazing. We cannot thank you enough for coming. One of my favorite episodes, for sure. We're going to have to have you back. We're going to get nitty gritty. The cheating episode. We're (laughs) going to have to have it. And for everyone out there, please rate us, review us. Five stars are always appreciated. We are the go-to girls. You can find us at go-to girls podcast on Insta. I mean, instability. You can reach out to us. Um, our website is www.gotogirlspodcast.com. Drop us a line. What do you want to see here? Drop into our DMs. Also, we have a huge announcement next episode. We are absolutely having a live event. We're going to have date, time, everything you need to know. It's going to be the networking event of your dreams plus we're going to get a little fun, a little raunch. It's going to be a little go-to girls after dark. So we will see you there. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you so much, Becca. You know we're going to have to have you back. Thank you so much. Amazing. Happy to be here. Bye. Bye.